Well, there comes a time in the life of every young adult. It was just like a couple years ago for me. Um, either, where either by, by choice or sometimes with a little bit of help, a little encouragement, they spread their wings and they fly. It's a time that is often referred to as leaving the nest, leaving the nest. There's actually a name that we have even for, for parents who have gone through this, this transition. We call them empty, empty nesters. As most of you know, Jen and I, we are right in the middle of this, this season in our lives. We're getting ready to leave the nest. Um, <laughs> if you keep telling yourself something long enough, you'll start to believe it, right? I really am 20. No, we are, we're in the middle of this with our own children. In fact, we have, our oldest son has already left the nest. He is living in Chicago. He works and lives in Chicago. And our two youngest sons are still at home, but they are full-time college students, and they're, you know, right in the middle of, of this transition. Now, I certainly... And I'm just saying, I, I am no expert on this. We're right in the middle of it. We're just trying to figure it out as we go a little bit. But, but one of the best adv- pieces of advice that I've been given through the years as a parent from people who have raised children of their own, even launched children of their own, is to, is to practice a gradual release of responsibility, a gradual release of responsibility where you're giving your children an increased involvement in not only making decisions that impact their lives, but then also walking with them through the processing and and learning from those decisions that they have, have made. It's a gradual release of responsibility. And it turns out that this is a process that is not only good for, for parents to practice in raising their children, but it's also a wise approach for discipleship. The, the, the process that we call discipleship, where we're, we're trying to help others to learn about Jesus and to become like Jesus. We, we, we want to practice a gradual release of responsibility. Now, several weeks ago, I, I shared with you what Pastor Skip Heitzig calls the, the six stages of discipleship training. In stage one, the teacher says, I do it. Or in, this, or in the parenting, the parent says, I I do it. Stage two, I do it, you watch. Stage three, I do it and and you help. And then between stage three and stage four, there's a big transition that starts to take place, right? Now you do it and I help. And then you do it and I watch and eventually you do it, right? You're you're ready now. You've graduated to stage Six, it's a gradual release of responsibility where, where we learn from Jesus in order to become like Jesus. Well, this morning, as we, as we continue our study of the book of Luke, we're gonna see Jesus continuing his training and his discipleship with the 12 disciples that he had chosen. It's time for them to, to take their first flight, so to speak, okay? It's time for Jesus to give them a little encouragement out of the nest to fly on their own. 
He's, he's, he's practicing a gradual release of responsibility. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine, and we're gonna pick up in, in verse, verse one. My hope was to get through verse 17 today, um, but on Friday I had to call the office and say, that ain't gonna happen. So uh, we're just gonna do the first nine verses uh, today uh, in chapter nine. Chapter nine, verse one says, and he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Stop there. Jesus calls his 12 disciples together. and He says, okay, here it is, guys. It is time for for us to kick things up a notch. Time to take your your discipleship to, to a new level. You, you've seen the things that I've been doing. You've been traveling with me. We just got back from the other side of the lake. You've seen what I've been doing. You've heard the, the messages that I've been preaching. Now it's time for you to do it. Now it's your turn. Now I want you to keep in mind that Jesus has been like, he's been pouring his life into these 12 men. These guys have been involved in an intense discipleship program. Ever since he, uh, remember the Sermon on the Plain, remember when Jesus was, he went up on the mountain, he prayed all night long, and then he chose these 12. And from that point forward, they started traveling with Jesus. They've been eating meals with Jesus. They've, They've been serving the crowds with Jesus. They've watched him heal the sick, right? They've watched him cast out demons. They've even seen him twice now raise somebody from the dead. I mean, they, they've, it's, in, it's intense, right? They've been, they've been there as he's been preaching sermons. And, and then after the sermon's over, he's preaching the crowds. After the sermon's over, it, we've, we've seen that, that the disciples were then alone with Jesus, asking him questions about the teaching. Jesus, what, what did you mean by this? Or what did you mean by that? And Jesus has been explaining as he goes. And now Jesus says, it's time for you to do the things that I've been doing. Okay. It's time for you to, to preach the things that I've been preaching. There's just one problem. And it seems to me like it's a pretty big problem if you're one of the disciples in this moment. I'm not Jesus, right? How am I supposed to heal the sick? How am I supposed to cast out demons? I mean, you raise people from the dead. How am I supposed to do that? I don't have that type of power. I don't have that type of authority. But Jesus does, doesn't he? Jesus has that type of authority. And and in verse one, Jesus now delegates his authority to these 12 as he's sending them out. He gives them the power and the authority to fulfill the mission that he's calling them to. Before Jesus sends them out, he equips them for their mission. Now, I want to talk about power and authority for, for a second, because you might think oh, it's the same, same thing, right? Power, authority, authority, power, same thing. No, it's, it's, it is two different Greek words, and he's using both intentionally here. The word power in the Greek here speaks to the ability to do something. It speaks to the capability to be able to perform a task. But authority 
speaks to the person's right to do that, to exercise that power. I read a, an example or, or, or a way to understand the difference this week. Uh, one way to think about it, but think about a police officer, right? A police, a police officer has a certain level of power, uh, right? I mean, they carry a, a pretty high impact power right, right on their hip, right? They have power available to them. They have a cruiser that can go very powerfully fast, right? They have not only the power to drive 110 miles an hour to chase down someone speeding, they have the power not only to subdue someone who has committed a crime, but they also have the authority to exercise that power. You might be able to carry something on your side, right? And you might have a car that can go just as fast or faster, but you may have the power, but you don't have the authority to exercise that. Do you see the difference? And what we've been seeing as we've been going through this study is that Jesus has not only extraordinary power, he has extraordinary authority. He has the, he has the ability to, to exercise the power, but he also has the authority to do so. In fact, in just the last two weeks in our study, we have seen the power and authority of Jesus. We saw it over the natural world, right? When he calmed the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee. We saw his power and authority over, over the supernatural world when he, when he freed the demon-possessed man in the land of the Gerasenes. We, uh, last week, we saw his power and his authority over, over sickness, over disease, when he healed the, the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And we even, again, saw his power and authority over death when he raised Jairus' daughter back to life. It is an extraordinary power and authority, unmatched by any human who has ever lived, right? Agreed? And now, and now, for a time, okay, for a specific mission that he's giving to these apostles of his, he is sending them out, delegating to them that same power and authority to go out and, and to, to heal diseases, to free those who are demon-possessed, to, to preach the good news about the kingdom of God. Jesus is equipping his disciples for the mission that he is giving to them. He is giving to them. Raise your hand if you have ever heard the saying, ready, I'll let you finish it, ready? Where God guides, God provides. Very good. Do you believe it? Yeah, it's true. It's true. If God, listen, this is important though. If God is the one who's guiding, he will provide. You, you mean, you, do, you just can't step out and say like, oh, I'm going to do what the disciples did today. I'm going to go out and I'm going to just cast out diseases and cast out demons. There's a great story in the book of Acts about some guys who decided to do that. They're like, oh, that looks awesome. I think I'll go do that. I'm just going to go cast out some demons. And the demon said, I don't know who you are. I know who Jesus is and I know who those, those disciples are, but you, I have no idea. And they beat him silly, right? They beat them silly and they ran away naked, right? If God is the one is guiding, if he's calling you to do something, God will provide all the needs that you have to accomplish the mission that he is calling you to. See, when we walk in obedience to God's leading in our lives, he provides everything that we need. It may not be everything you want, 
right? He provides everything you need. It may not be everything you want, but everything you need, everything you truly need. And, and this is a really, really, really important lesson that his 12 disciples need to learn while Jesus is still with them. This gradual release of responsibility. They need to know that they can trust God to provide for their needs wherever he guides them, right? So in verse three, after equipping them, after equipping them, he tells them their, their mission, okay? Verse three, he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. Okay, personally, I'm just going to say that. I, I, I haven't run this by Pastor Henry, but I, I think he'll agree. I feel like this passage should be required reading for everyone going on a short-term mission trip. <laughs> everyone going on a, a short-term I remember when I was doing youth ministry, we'd show up for like, like, like going to Soul Fest or going to on a, on a, on a week-long service project. And we, we went to uh, all through New York and Rhode Island. We did these, these week-long service projects similar to Shoulder to Shoulder. And, and the teens would show up and they'd have like two big bags and a duffel bag and a pillow and a backpack. And we're like, you got to learn to pack lighter. You got to pack, you got to pack lighter. That was regional. But when we're flying down to Mexico... It's a whole different game. It's a whole different game. And so whenever we go on trips to Mexico, we typically have a series of, we have a series of meetings ahead of time, pre-trip meetings to help prepare the team for the trip. Pastor Henry usually provides the team with a, with a packing list. He usually gives it out early and then has to give it out again and again and again. And on that packing list, he, he has a list of everything that they, they should bring and everything they, well, just about everything they should not bring. And I wish, I wish, I wish you could see the look on some of their faces when, when, when Pastor Henry brings in a little carry-on bag and says, everything you're bringing needs to fit inside this little rollaway. Everything. That's, a, that's all your clothes for church. It's your clothes for working. It's your extra shoes. It's everything you got to fit inside this one little rollaway. We've literally, had, we've literally had people laugh as, as, as he's told them this. They think we're joking. We're not joking. <laughs> we're not joking. And, and so far, praise God, everybody's been able to do it. Even the people who didn't think they could do it, they could do it. Actually, a few of them have, have decided to sneak their big clunky boots into our team bags. Okay, they get checked. So I guess that's a little loophole. That, I don't know if we should tighten that one up or not. But anyway... Hey, listen, if you think our packing list is, is tough, you should try the packing list that Jesus gives to his disciples here. Jesus says, take nothing for your journey. Nothing. All those things that you would normally pack for a journey you know, like this, a staff, right? Maybe a staff that you might use for, for protection, right? Or just to kind of guide you along the path. A bag, food. Seems like a logical thing to pack for a journey, right? Money. He says, I want you to leave those things at home. Jesus says, don't, don't, don't even bring a change of clothes. Don't even bring an extra tunic, he says. Now, the tunic 
was the undergarment that they would wear under their robe. Okay, so wait, Jesus says, don't even bring a, chair, a change of underclothes. Okay, listen, you, yeah, I am sending you out right now with the clothes on your back. Like now, it's time to go. It's time. Well, I gotta first, I gotta go home and pack. No, you're not packing. Nope, you're not. No, you're not going to the ATM. You're not going to the grocery store. You're going right now. Why? Why, why is Jesus doing this? What, what, what is he trying to accomplish here? Jesus is sending his disciples out in such a way that they are gonna be totally dependent on the Lord to provide for their every need. Jesus says, don't even worry about money. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about shelter. Everything is gonna be taken care of. You just go and trust me, trust me. Now, this was gonna be such a huge faith-building experience for these disciples, right? They were gonna learn that when they walk in obedience to God, they can trust him to provide for everything they need. And the same is true for us, right? When we walk in obedience to God, we can trust him to provide everything that we need. And this was a really big lesson that it was really important for them to learn. Because if you think about it, if you've, if you've read the book of Acts, how many of you read the book of Acts? You, you know what's coming for these disciples. You know about the challenges and the hardships that are going to await them. They needed to know that no matter where God calls us, if God guides, God will provide. He's gonna take care of me. As long as I'm walking in obedience to him, he's gonna take care of me. And so Jesus intentionally sends them out in such a way that they're gonna be totally dependent on him. And guess what? They learned the lesson. They did. In Luke chapter 22, I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna read you a, a little bit of that passage because it's gonna be a while before we get there. All right, so in Luke chapter 22, this is on the night before Jesus died. On the night before Jesus died, Jesus is he's talking with his disciples in the upper room. And he refers back to this, to this mission. In Luke chapter 22, verse 35, Jesus said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? Did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. Not that they didn't say anything. They, they said, we lacked nothing. They said, no, Jesus, we, we didn't lack anything. You provided everything we needed. The disciples learned the lesson that, that Jesus was trying to teach them, that they can depend on him to provide what they need. So, so it raises a question. It raises a question. Does this mean that, that is this prescriptive? Does this mean that we, we should never prepare before we go out on, on a mission? Is that the point that Jesus is making, that, that all short-term mission trips, this is exactly how you should do it? Some of you are like, yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be so cool, living on the edge. And others are like, I, I wouldn't sign up. You know, I'm, I'm out. That's not the point of the passage, is it? That's not the point that Jesus is making. In fact, in fact and this is how I know this, because in that same passage where, where Jesus is talking to his disciples in the upper room in Luke 22, the very next verse, in verse 36, Jesus said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and 
Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So Jesus wasn't saying that every time you go out on a mission, you need to go out, don't, don't pack, don't do this. The, the point of the passage, the point of the passage is that, the point of the passage is, is that we need to be listening to the voice of Jesus on where he's calling us, right? And when we're following him, we can trust him. He's not, saying that, he's not saying that you should always go out with nothing. And he's not saying you should always pack. It's not pack light or pack heavy. It's listen to my voice and do what I'm telling you to do and know that when you do that, you can trust me. And in this passage in Luke 22, he says, now that you've learned that lesson, now that you know that you can trust me, I'm telling you, you're gonna need to bring those things with you. By the way, he provided those things too, didn't he? He provided the knapsack and the bag and the money and the clothes and he provided that too. And he says, bring those with you. Stop relying on your own abilities and trust him. There, there are times, there are times when, when we know, when we know that the Lord is, is tapping us on the shoulder, like telling us to, to, maybe he's banging on the door of your heart saying, you need to go. You need to go right now. You need to go talk to your neighbor. You need to go to, I don't know, maybe you need to go to the grocery store right now because I've got an appointment for you there. But you know what the sad part is? I think most Christians are not living, listening to the voice of, of the Holy Spirit enough to know when God is saying go, right? We're so, we're so muted to listening to his voice, we don't even recognize it when he's saying it's time for you to go. I need you to go over here. I want you to go over here. There's somebody I have for you here. There are times when Jesus calls us to pack light, there are also times when he calls us to, to, to pack well and to prepare for the long haul. The key is walking in obedience to Christ. The key is knowing that we can depend on him. If he guides us, he will provide for us. And in this case, Jesus is, is calling his disciples to go and to take nothing for their journey. And so having equipped them with, with, with power and authority, his power and authority, and having told them to pack nothing but, but just to trust God, Jesus is now going to give them a warning and some instructions on how to deal with opposition. But I just want to, before we, before we go to verse five, I, I just want to say this. Um, it's important to recognize that Jesus, Jesus sends these disciples out it's, it's his mission. It's his purpose. He is sending them out. He's given them power and authority to do certain things on this mission. He didn't just give them carte blanche power and authority to just now, they can just go wherever they want, do whatever they want, heal whoever they want. They are on a very specific mission assigned by Jesus and they need to walk in step with the Holy Spirit on this, on this mission. I think that's really important to recognize. The, the, the disciples, the, the authority and the power and the mission all come from Jesus and they're all for Jesus. That's important. I, I, think, I think sometimes we get in our heads that like, like, oh, give me that gift, Jesus, so that I can become somebody or do, you know, you know what I'm saying? This, these, this power, this authority and this calling is from Jesus and it's for Jesus and they need to walk in step with Jesus. With him. Well, in verse five, Jesus said, Whenever, wherever they uh, do not receive you, 
when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus is giving them a, a warning and he's giving them some instructions on, on how to deal with opposition. Not everyone, not everyone is going to welcome the disciples in their message. And not everyone's gonna welcome you when you bring the message to them either. But Jesus says, but Jesus says, Here, here's what I want you to do, okay? If, when you're out there, he doesn't say if, when you're out there and you're, and you're, and you're teaching and, and, you're, and you're, you're out here performing what I've called you to do, doing these miracles and, and teaching the truth, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, when you're doing this, if and when people reject you, here's what you're gonna do. I want you to leave. Just leave. Leave that town and go to the next one. Jesus tells the disciples, don't spend time trying to argue someone into the kingdom. It's not gonna work. It's not going to work. If they're closed off, if they're in opposition to the gospel, Jesus says, leave. You've done your part. Instead of standing there and, and continuing to argue and try to convince somebody who's closed off to the gospel truth, Jesus says, take that truth to somebody who will receive it. And I think, sadly, sometimes we just, all we, do, we just get discouraged. But they rejected it. I'm done. I'm not doing that again. You know, look, Jesus tells you they're going to do that. They're going to reject the truth. And when they do, leave and present the truth to someone else. Now, I don't think, I don't think this was a great surprise to the disciples. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think they were like, what? People are going to reject us? You gotta be kidding me. They, they were not surprised. These guys have been traveling with Jesus long enough. They've seen how the crowds have treated Jesus, right? And, and if they're treating Jesus that way, the disciples, I'm sure, were like, yeah, they're probably gonna, probably gonna treat us the same, the same way. They know that there's gonna be uh, opposition. In fact, the, the, the opposition to Jesus at this point is, is actually growing, right? It's mounting, especially amongst the religious leaders like, like the Pharisees. And, and if they hate Jesus, do you think they're gonna love the apostles, the disciples? They're gonna hate his followers too, right? Jesus tells his disciples that later, right? John chapter 15, he said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours but all these things they will do to you, watch this, on account of me. Because they do not know him who sent me. It's not you that they're rejecting, is it? It's, it's Christ. So I, I, don't, I don't think the disciples were surprised in the least that Jesus said, you're, you're gonna go out and, and people are going to reject this truth. I don't think they were surprised about that at all. However, however, I do think they might have been a little surprised by how Jesus told them to deal with this opposition. Jesus said, if they don't receive you, if they reject you, ready? I want you to leave. And then he said, when you leave, I want you to shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. What? 
What? Are you serious? You guys don't seem to be very surprised. I'm just saying, you're reading that and you're like, okay, shake off the dust. This is a big deal. This this is such a a big deal. Let let me explain. Okay, let me explain because your faces look like you need an explanation. Okay. As an American living in 2023, it is so easy for us to miss the significance of this gesture. Okay, but if you were a first century Jew, what? You want us to do what? This is crazy. You see, in those days, in those days, when, when, a, when a pious Jew traveled either to or through a Gentile city or, or a Gentile region, think about like traveling through Samaria, okay? When they were traveling through when they reached, when they came back to leaving that land and coming back into the Jewish land, they would stop and they would literally shake the dust off their feet as a symbolic gesture to say, I do not want to be contaminated with even the dust of this pagan land. I don't want to bring any part of this pagan people with me back into my life. I'm not bringing any of that with me. It was a symbol of disassociation and it was a warning to those people of the judgment that awaits them because they were not a holy people set apart unto the Lord. This was a, it was a, it was an offensive thing to the people that were shaking the dust off, right? It'd be kind of like going up to someone and they shaking their hand and they'd be like, afterwards, like, if you guys have ever seen the show Monk, you know that, that he offended a lot of people that way, right? He'd be like, hey, nice to meet you. And then he'd put some hand sanitizer on him. Like, and they're like, what? Right? Very, it, it's a, it, it, was, it, was a, it was offensive. But there's something else. There's something else in this story that, that makes this even more significant, even more significant. And something that, that Luke doesn't mention here. But if you read Matthew's account, he does. And here it is. When Jesus is sending out these disciples, Matthew tells us that he specifically told them, he said, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Don't go anywhere near the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans right now. I'm sending you out on a mission. And I'm not sending you to Gentiles. Matthew says that he sent them, listen, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew chapter 10, verse six. So Jesus is sending his disciples out to witness to Jews, okay? And he's gonna go into these Jewish villages and he says, and if they reject you, if they don't receive you, then I want you to shake off the dust from your feet at them, at them. I want you, he's telling his disciples to treat these Jews like they treat the Gentiles. Do you have any idea how offensive this is going to be to the Jewish people? This is, this is, what? Are you serious, Jesus? You want me to do what? This is crazy. What Jesus is saying here is that that their rejection of the gospel, 
their rejection of his messengers puts them in the same position as pagan Gentiles. Ouch. This act of shaking off the dust of their feet was meant to serve as a warning of the judgment that awaits them. This is an incredibly serious matter, isn't it? To reject God is a very serious matter, and to reject his messengers is a very serious matter. In fact, it's so serious that in Matthew's gospel, listen to this, Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus adds these sobering words. He says, truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Can you imagine being a Jew hearing this from his disciples as they shake the dust off their feet? You'd be better off if you were Sodom and Gomorrah. What? Wow. By the way, this, this act of shaking off the dust from their feet is something that we see Paul and Barnabas actually uh, practice in Acts chapter 13, if you go read that story. They were, they were being driven out of the town of, of, of Antioch in, in Pisidia. Acts 13, 51 says, they, but they, Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust from their feet against them and then went to Iconium. But what about us? What, what, about, uh, what, what are we supposed to take away from this? I don't know that it would carry the same impact today. You go to your neighbor, you share the truth, and they're like, get out of here, you're, you're crazy. I don't want anything to do with this. And you're like, okay. <laughs> they would just think you're more crazy, right? It's just, it's not gonna have the same impact. I think there's some really, I think there's some really important takeaways though from this passage and what Jesus is sending his disciples out to do and, and how he tells them to respond. First of all, we, <clears throat> we need to understand that, that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then like his disciples, Jesus has sent you out as his representatives. Jesus sends these guys out. That's what it means to be an apostle, a sent out one. But Jesus has sent us out as well. He sent us out to proclaim the good news. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about uh, this role that we have as followers of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, uh, I highlighted a bunch of stuff. I should have just highlighted the whole thing and then that, then that just takes away from why I highlight any of it. But therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you know that? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this, that, it's from God. Who? through Christ, his son, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We now have peace with God and he's given us the ministry of bringing others to have peace with God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through who? 
through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that a great passage? Paul says that that we who have been saved by Jesus are now ambassadors of Jesus. By the way, if you're like, ah, kind of embarrassed about what my job is, not really proud of my career. Like just for now on, when people say, what do you do for work? I'm an ambassador of the son of God. That's a pretty good title. I'm an ambassador of the God of the universe. That's a pretty cool, cool title. We we are his representatives who have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to invite others to experience what we ourselves have experienced, reconciliation with God. We are sent out as his ambassadors. It's our job description. But we also need to understand that just like the disciples, not everybody's gonna receive that message, right? Not everybody's gonna say, oh, that's awesome. Thank you for telling me, right? You're gonna get doors slammed in your face. You're gonna have people say, I don't want anything to do with you. Some might be more polite, but they're going to reject this message. And when they do, when they do, we, we, first of all, don't be surprised. It's gonna happen. But when they do, we need to remember that we are not the ones that they're rejecting, right? They're rejecting Christ. And, and our job, as I said at the beginning, is not to change their hearts. That's the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Our job is to just proclaim the truth. Our job is to live the truth and leave the results to God. And if they reject the truth, it's not a joyful thing. You don't like, ah, sweet, now I can shake the dust off of that one and move on to the next one, right? That's not the attitude. It's with a grieving heart, right? With a grieving heart, we, we, we wipe our hands clean of this situation. We, we leave. Keep praying for them. Pray that God would, would, would soften their hearts. And then we bring the good news to those who will receive it. Don't stop sharing the truth just because someone rejected it. They're going to. And when they do, leave them with the Lord and move on and tell someone else. That's, that's our job. That's what we're supposed to be doing. This is what Jesus called his disciples to do and it's what he's called us to do as well. It's kind of exciting, right? I mean, it, isn't it kind of nice to know that the burden doesn't rest on you? Like you're just a conduit. You just do what the Lord's telling you to do and then leave the results to him. Well, in verse six, Luke tells us that they, they, they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I mean, what, a, what an amazing experience this must have been for these 12 disciples, you know? Uh, and I'm sure there was a mix of emotions, right? Because what Jesus, this is their first time, right? They're going out on their own for the first time. Like, uh, we've never done this. This is a little scary. And, and like, can you imagine the... the just imagine for the moment that the first time that they're going to say, okay, that person's got a demon and I'm going to cast it out. Or the first time they saw somebody who's sick and said, I'm going to pray for that person. Do you think there was a little bit of fear? A little bit like, what's going to happen? You know? I'm sure there was, there was, there was fears, there was doubts, there was probably questions and, and uncertainty, right? But Jesus said, go do this, so they 
they went. Isn't that great? They didn't have all the answers. They didn't know exactly how it was all gonna play out. But Jesus said, this is what we're gonna do. He said, he's given us the power and authority, so we're gonna go do it. And I think because of their obedience, because they did what Jesus told them to do, they got to experience moments of joy, excitement, and celebration like you cannot even possibly imagine. Unreal, right? What an important time this was in the building up of their faith and their dependence on God. Luke says that they departed, they, they went and they did what Jesus called them to do. In Mark's gospel, he tells us that, that Jesus sent them out in pairs, in pairs. He sent them out in groups of two. Now you've, you've got six groups, okay? So before you had Jesus, the 12 disciples, and the big crowds all following Jesus from town to town. We know how difficult it gets to travel, right? We've been reading about that. It's getting really difficult. Uh, last week we saw that the crowd was like choking in on Jesus as he's trying to move. And so all of a sudden Jesus says, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna spread out. We're gonna spread out. I'm gonna send you out in groups of two. And now instead of just Jesus traveling around, he's got six groups out traveling around all over Galilee, performing miracles, preaching the good news. Pretty good plan, right? What you're seeing here is the development of Jesus's plan to reach the world. It's an exponential growth. Next, when we get to chapter 10, it's not gonna be 12 that get sent out. It's gonna be 72 that are gonna get sent out in pairs. So now instead of one and instead of six, now we have 36 pairs traveling all over preaching the good news and performing miracles. This is awesome, right? Now think about the fact that today, today, literally millions and millions of Christians spread out all over the world, all over the world, able to go out and preach the good news and show people that there is hope available through a savior, Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing stuff, don't you think? And it would be really, really, really amazing if every single one of those millions and millions and millions of Jew, uh, Jews, believers, Jews and Gentiles alike, if all of them said, locked up in pairs and said, we're doing this, we're going out, we're gonna share the love of Christ, right? Sadly, there's too many who said, thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. I'll keep that to myself. That's sad, Right? We are his ambassadors. What an amazing strategy Jesus has for reaching the world. And it worked, right? Because you're here. Pretty good, pretty good stuff. Well, as we close this morning, I, I wanna just, we're gonna look at verses seven through nine because the word did spread. These disciples, they went out, they did what Jesus was telling them to do. And the word continued to spread to the point where, where Herod Antipas, remember that guy? Herod Antipas, he now wants to see Jesus for himself. Okay, verse seven says, now Herod the Tetrarch, because he was a ruler of a fourth, that's what a Tetrarch means. He heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. If you read the other gospels, you see that Herod's like, he's a little bit freaked out about this idea that this might be John the Baptist. We've, we've talked about Herod before, okay? We've talked about him a little bit before. This is, this is one of the sons of Herod the Great. 
And, and this Herod, Herod Antipas, was appointed by Rome as the ruler of, of two regions, okay? The region of Galilee, which is where Jesus had been doing most of his ministry, and the region of Perea, which is just east of the Jordan River. And that's down where John the Baptist has been baptizing people in the Jordan. And so Herod, the, uh, Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great, he's, he's not nearly that great, okay? Jesus calls him a fox later. But anyway, Herod Antipas hears about all that's, that's happening between, between Jesus and the disciples, all the miracles and, and all that's taking place. And, and he starts to get worried because this is the same Herod who had had John the Baptist arrested, right? And he's the same Herod who was responsible for having John's head chopped off. He, he had John the Baptist killed. And so as word starts to spread, everybody around is asking the same question. Who is this Jesus? Who is he? Is he the Messiah? Is, is he a prophet that's come? Is he the return of Elijah as was expected? And then people start saying, you know what? I think he might be John the Baptist resurrected. Now, if you're the guy who killed John the Baptist and you hear that he's come back to life and he's performing all these powerful miracles, you can understand why Herod Antipas is a little bit uncomfortable. He's a little worried. And so Herod begins saying, I, I, I wanna have an audience. I wanna see this Jesus. I, I want to, to see him. You know what's really interesting? Even though Herod wanted to see Jesus, even though Herod, and, 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 and listen, Herod is the ruler of Galilee. This is the area where Jesus has been ministering. His headquarters were in Tiberias, okay? Even though Jesus and here in the same area, and Herod, he's arguably one of the more powerful people around, right? Herod Antipas, he wants to see Jesus, but the gospels indicate that he never saw Jesus. He never got what he wanted until Jesus was on trial. Until Jesus was on trial. Now, I just, I find that, that fascinating because it, I think we live in this culture where like, like, Jesus didn't care about Herod's power, right? Jesus knew that Herod was not an honest seeker. He knew Herod's heart. He, he knew that, that Herod was only interested in setting his own mind at ease, making sure that this isn't John the Baptist. And hey, wouldn't it be cool to see a show? Wouldn't it be cool to see Jesus perform some miracles? And we, by the way, we know that that's what he's after. And I'll read a passage to you in just a moment to, to show that. But, but Herod, he's not, he doesn't want to see Jesus for true motives. And Jesus does not waste his time on, on Herod who doesn't, who's not sincere. You could say, I could say, maybe Jesus was shaking the dust off his feet towards Herod. No thanks. Oh, you want to see? No, no, no. So I've got people who genuinely want the truth. I'm not going to go waste my time. It was a visit to Tiberias to hang out with Herod, who, by the way, had already rejected God's messenger. He rejected John the Baptist. Too late, Herod. Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is sent to Herod, because, because Pilate says, hey, wait a minute, this guy's from Galilee? That's Herod's area, 
I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to send him to Herod. So he sends Jesus to Herod, says, Herod, you deal with this, this guy. I don't want to deal with this. And he goes before, before uh, Herod. And in verse 8 of chapter 23, we read, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him. I've been waiting so long to finally meet him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. He wanted to see the show. He wanted to see a miracle. So he questioned Jesus at some length, but Jesus made no answer. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? When they reject the truth, Jesus says, just take the truth someplace else. Jesus isn't going to defend himself in front of Herod. He knows Herod's heart. And as I said before, as I said before, earlier in chapter 13, the Pharisees tell Jesus that Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus says, you, you tell that fox such and such. He calls Herod a, a fox, which basically is, he's saying, you tell that sneaky, cowardly little pest, I don't care what he thinks, okay? And by the way, Jesus doesn't usually talk to people that way, does he? But he, he, he did with Herod, and he certainly did with the, with the Pharisees. Those who, are not, who have rejected his messengers, those who have rejected the truth, Jesus says, Take the truth to those who will, who will receive it. Well, next week, next week as we continue our study, we're gonna read about, we're gonna read about the 12 disciples. They're gonna be coming back. So Jesus sent them out. Next week in verse 10, they are coming back from their mission. And we're gonna read about, we're gonna read about the, listen, this is the only miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. This is the only miracle in the Bible that is recorded in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all describe this miracle. It's the only miracle that all four write about, except for the resurrection of Jesus. I think that's pretty fascinating. It must be a pretty important miracle that all four of them decided to write about. And we're going to look at that next week, but that's next week. Unless you want to stay. No? All right, next week. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you so much uh, for this mission that you've given us, a mission that you gave to your your disciples, you sent them out to proclaim the truth and you validated, validated that truth with the miracles they were performing. They, you equipped them with, with the power and the authority needed to accomplish the mission that you gave them. And God, we believe that you will equip us with the power and the authority we need to accomplish the mission that you've given us. God, I pray that you would give us boldness and an obedience like the 12 to take this message and bring it to those who need it. God, we know that not everybody will receive it, but we know that some will. And that's an eternal transaction. And it's worth all the rejection in the world to see one person have their eternal destiny changed. So God, I pray that you would help us to shine bright, to, to, to be a light in this world, that many others would come to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.